Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Kevin Bennett of the Best Practice Network, and I'm pleased to be joined by Eric Perez of Talking Leadership. We're really pleased to start off this leadership podcast series on part of the Best Practice Network, and it's great to have a number of our fantastic members and colleagues and friends with us today. We're hoping to cover off some real great topics, and we're looking forward to having your feedback afterwards. So before we make a start, I'd like to make uh, get, get the team to give you a quick introduction. So Ron, could you just uh, introduce yourself? Please. Hi, I'm Ron Scucheri. I'm uh, Executive Director of TXM Lean Solutions. We're a global lean consulting business, and I'm also uh, Managing Director of Best Practice Network. And Alan, please. Hi, I'm, I'm Alan Munts. Um, I'm a leadership and HR consultant. Previous to that, I've had 30-odd years in HR roles across multiple sectors and currently represent the Leadership Pipeline Institute in Australia. Great. Thank you, Alan. Zanny. Hi, my name is Zanny Christopherson. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Priestley's Gourmet Delight. Priestley's Gourmet Delights is a proud family business based in Queensland, 25 years old. And we supply the cafes, restaurants, pubs and clubs throughout Australia with cakes. And we are very much the cake in the cake cabinet. Mr. Morgan. Hi, I'm Christopher Morgan. I'm the Head of Operations for Street Furniture Australia. And as the name implies, we make street furniture for Australia and overseas. So manufacturer of outdoor furniture for public spaces. I've been here for around, heading up towards 10 years now and had a lot of adventures on the way. Thank you, Chris. And Neil. Hi, I'm Neil Corden. I am responsible for the supply chain and quality systems at Ground Probe. Ground Probe is a technology company in the mining services sector, providing radars for measuring uh, mine slope stability. Uh, my background is in uh, automotive quality, essentially, but quality systems, quality and manufacturing. So I've been in management roles now for about 17 years. Fantastic. Thank you, Neil. So my name is Kevin Bennett. I'm the uh facilitator for the Best Practice Network in New South Wales and Queensland. Eric, would you like to introduce yourself and then go over to the first question? I'd love to introduce myself. When I'm not doing my podcasting with Talking Leadership, I work full-time as a CEO of the Queensland Seafood Industry Association and, and happy to be here, mate. This is going to be interesting process. First question, and we'll go throw to Chris if we can, and this is for everyone. Can you outline one leader you admire and their characteristics and attributes they bring to that role? Uh, hi, Eric. I found that to be an interesting question, actually, because it's something that you hear about all the time as everyone having their, their one leader that they can refer to. And I actually struggled with that over the years. I've worked for many, many different people and worked with many, many different people. But what I found when I started thinking back through that was that I was actually listing a whole pile of things that I didn't like and things that they did that didn't impress. My basis of different leaders wasn't so much what are the good things they did, but what are the things that I thought I better not do that. So I've ended up with almost a negative image of what a leader is rather than a positive image, if that makes any sense. You know, there's definitely really positives with some of the leaders I've had personally. And I've found that over the years that the personal side of a leader can often be in complete conflict to their skills as a manager. So finding that balance between the two, I've always found to be really, really difficult because it's often very hard to be someone that everyone gets on with when you think that's a really good guy or a really good lady. But as a manager, they weren't very good. And often where it was the other way around, they could be a really good, efficient manager with great plans and great ideas, but you didn't really want to socialize with them. So having this favorite or, or best leader that stands out, I really struggled with. Danny, as we've got Jason here, Danny's up next. Yeah, I also found that an interesting question and hmm. I had to put a bit of thought in behind who I chose because there aren't a lot of amazing leaders out there. So I chose Gail Kelly. So not only because she's the first female leader in one of the big four banks, but due to the fact that she was 
able to bring a more of a human face and brightly coloured suits to the very male, grey, button-down world of banking and also managed to have an extremely successful family life as well. So she had four children and in her second pregnancy, she had triplets. So wow, what a woman. And the couple of things that I thought were why I chose Gail as a leader that I'd admire was that her leadership was based around a one team approach, which encourages employees to work together as a team to support each other and to put the customer and the company first over their own business unit and individual outcomes. So she backed herself and encouraged other women to do the same. She was and still is a really strong advocate for women in corporate leadership and encouraged women to put their hand up for larger roles, to dig deep when the opportunities came up and to make sure that they were always continuing to grow. She really encouraged trust between employees and management and believes in a generosity of spirit approach to leadership, which is a relationship-based leader approach. She states that generosity of spirit is at the heart of everything and that is fundamental belief in the power to people to make a difference, respect for individuals and respect for difference. At its core, it is the philosophy of saying, I want the very best for you and creates an environment where an individual can thrive and prosper at every level. She was also incredibly self aware and had a really high level of emotional intelligence and I think that's absolutely necessary in order to be an amazing leader. She was also very aware of her own personal brand and made sure that she was you know would always greet people, smile and acknowledge them and finally she's an optimist at heart. So leaders have a choice about the way that they view the world and Gail encourages all leaders to actively choose to be positive and to see the world through a glass half full perspective. So even in difficult um, times, we always need to look for the learnings, the insights, the opportunities, and then the next step. Alan? Eric, I came at it from a couple of perspectives, actually. A little bit like Chris, there's some negatives, but also reflected on a couple of people uh, that I've I've worked with over the years that I, that I respected. Before that, though, I sort of thought about a couple of things I do either in programs or responses to things I've made. You know, I use a little icebreaker. It's three questions, you know, list the best boss you've had, list them all out, put them on post-it notes, and then go to three, th- three pieces of butcher's paper, one-headed intelligence IQ, one-headed technical skill, one-headed interpersonal skills. And you get people to put their post-it notes on each of those butcher's paper. And every time I've run that icebreaker, the interpersonal skills page gets filled up. So for me, that says something about leaders and how people see their leaders. And it's not just the technical or intelligence piece. It's, it's very much about how they interact with people. And I guess that goes a lot to what Sandy was saying about Gail Kelly. And the other one was a reflection of sitting in a shop and being asked if you had one silver bullet, what would it be? And given my HR background, it was simply managers that are prepared to manage. So we're talking about here, I think we're talking about leadership in an organizational context. So for me, managers and leaders that understand that their leadership in an organization takes a bit more than that technical technical activity, the technical function, the things that they do to specifically add value from a content perspective, but it's really understanding that their leadership role takes some different activity. So then I went to a couple of people I, I admire, two guys I've worked with who were my bosses back in the brewing industry and more recently in in heavy heavy manufacturing around the, the mineral space. And when I looked at them, I came up with these sorts of things. They're about taking the organization or their team forward. It's not 
about them. It's a, it's a degree of humility. Both the individuals were calm, not necessarily charismatic, so calm and thoughtful. Open, approachable, and they were visible in the organization. They didn't detract from their, their other leaders, but they were visible, open, and approachable. And that they were trustworthy. That approachability thing with both of those individuals, I knew I could go and raise an issue and have it heard and not be shot down. It wasn't a, a shoot the messenger thing. They were consultative and collaborative, so they brought the organization together all the team together and took us forward. Values-based, um, there's a couple of vignettes where we had to dismiss someone a number of years ago, but that was a values-based decision. It was it was clear cut. You know, we weren't going to, to step away from that value. We were going to uphold it. And the other thing is they weren't afraid of conflict. So when when there was a conflict that needed to be taken on or a, you know some serious feedback given, they were prepared to do that. And in some ways, I've you know got one memory of walking away from a meeting saying to to one of these gentlemen, you know, that was a tough meeting. That was great. And at least we now know all the issues. So we're, they weren't afraid of conflict and getting issues on the table. And to a degree, they they came from a broader base of experience. They weren't just from a narrow sectorial perspective. So to contrast that, I then contrast with two people I did necessarily respect as leaders back to Chris's approach and very much just quickly it seemed to be about them you know there was they played favorites and there was politics they didn't necessarily see the value of all functions across an organization and the contribution they could could make and they sprung surprises you didn't necessarily know what you were going to get when you had an issue to to raise and if that issue was going to be taken seriously. And in one of those those instances, the it was a CEO of a not-for-profit organization I was in, had come up from a pretty narrow experiential base. So didn't necessarily have the breadth of view to to be able to to put all the pieces together. So you know that's three perspectives. You know what what I think is that emotional intelligence piece, that that interpersonal piece, the understanding of that you need to see the leadership pieces as a as a different activity that needs focus, and then some of those values and contrasting that with some of the people I didn't necessarily value. Hopefully that's added a bit to the conversation. Yeah, thank you, Alan. We'll uh, hand over to Neil. Yeah, that was superb. And I think Alan really kind of nailed down a lot of the things I had on my list. And um, I'm also coming from the same school of thought as Chris as well, that I probably learned more from bad managers than I ever learned from inspirational managers. In fact, when I try and think back over to name a previous manager, I'm a bit like Chris, I'm struggling a little bit, but I've got a couple of names there. One, one from my personal experience is a guy called Jamie Jetwood. Some of you may have heard of him. He got leader, leader of the year back in 2017, I think it was. He was the HR manager at Holden when they when they wound up the Holden operation in Adelaide. And uh, I worked with him in automotive prior to that. And uh, he's a really inspirational guy. And, and the main trait of the guy, I would say, is that humanistic trait. He really cared about people, really was invested in the people. And he saw himself as working for them rather than them working for him. So that same uh, attitude is that I'm here to be an enabler. A good manager, I think, is an enabler for his, for their team. And they care about their team and they get to know them, not necessarily intimately well and be friends with everybody because sometimes there's a, there's a line there where you don't want to be too too friendly with people, but you certainly want to have a good appreciation of the, the team and their background and their life and an understanding of them as people. And I think you get a lot more out of it. So, yeah, Jamie, for me, was really inspirational. He was uh, supportive. He stayed out of the sandpit. And he enabled people to do things, supported them, but he didn't necessarily get in there and try and um, take control, make decisions. I think a really good manager is able to really effectively coach. So they, they overcome their natural instinct to jump in. A lot of these people have you know, previously been engineers or in functional roles, and they tend to jump in and try and solve the problem. Like, well, you don't want to be solving the problem. You want to be asking the open questions that help people understand how to solve a problem and realize that they actually have the capability themselves to solve the problem without you giving them the answer. 
So I think to me, there's a really, really strong thing there around the ability to coach effectively. The other person I would state in my sort of list of heroes, if you like, is Barack Obama. And I think for, for me, there's a guy who his integrity is, you cut him in half and he's, you know, his integrity is front and centre. Humanistic trusting and very strong on integrity, very clear set of values and a very clear vision. I think, you know, if you're going to be able to stand back and empower your team to do things and then enable them, you need to be able to paint a picture of what the future should look like and the direction that you're going in. So I think that ability to think outside of the transactional and step back and then let the people doing the transactional work do it with your support is a really important thing. And the other thing is just from a values point of view is making sure that the values are clearly defined and that a leader is living the values and demonstrating those values to the team. It's something that we're very strong on here at Grandpo is that we actually use our values as a reference system for every decision that we make and also for hiring decisions. If we're having any disciplinary issue, we refer, we refer back directly to the uh, to the values to highlight where there's a, a mismatch between the behavior and the value and i think that to me is a really important trait of a leader is that they are rock solid on the values in understanding what they are and demonstrating them knowledgeable and having a history and somebody there said about a, i think alan said a breadth of knowledge it's good to have a breadth of knowledge to know that you can you can rely on that manager to give you good advice based on previous knowledge but also if you have better knowledge than them that they're quite happy to to take a back seat and let you actually make the decision because you have greater experience in that area than they do and to be humble enough to go you know better than i do what the answer is to this and i think that's again part of that coaching is like don't ask me you already know what do you think you should do i think is a very strong thing to actually say i hire clever people to do the work because i don't know everything so i think that ability to step away from that is really important so that's 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 probably it for my list Sani, did you have your hand up there? Do you want to pick up something? Yeah, I did. I like I, I really resonated with what Neil had to say. And I think that's the difference between a manager versus a leader, right? And also recognizing where your weaknesses are and hiring the people around you that can cover your weaknesses so they really bolster your team and move your business forward. So thanks, Neil. Great. Thank you, Zanny. I think we're going to hand over to Ron. Yes, Ron, over to you. Okay, thanks. Well, I feel really fortunate. There's actually been some leaders that I've come across through my career that uh, have certainly been inspirational to me and, and forged my understanding and views on, on leadership. I've also had the, I'll say the fortune of coming across some anti-leaders, those that the guys have been referring to that have forged for me everything that you shouldn't be in a leader. And it's, I guess it's just as important to be exposed to, to those guys as it is to the positive leaders that uh, we have the opportunity to come across. But in terms of finding you know, some Someone focused on so a leader that I, I admire is Alan Mulally. So Alan is an American aerospace engineer and is a manufacturing executive. So some of uh, Alan's career highlights include being the director of engineering on the Boeing Triple Seven aircraft design, then CEO of Boeing, CEO of Ford. Some of the I guess the key roles that he filled that uh, that have been notable within his career. My first exposure to Alan was in the 1990s when I was working in the Boeing 777 design team. And having just graduated my aeronautical engineering degree, I was, I was already in awe as I arrived at Seattle to work with Boeing. As you can imagine, it's quite a, an amazing feeling as an aeronautical engineer to be sitting in the offices of, of Boeing as a design engineer. However, the enduring memory I have of my time in Seattle was the culture 
within the Boeing 777. So in developing the 777 aircraft, Boeing adopted a mantra of working together. And although that seems a very basic thing to say, working together, it was actually an inflection point for the industry, as this was the first time that the, the OEM of the aircraft was, was inviting the extended supply chain to be engaged in the design of the product. And in doing so, the focus was, let's generate the optimal outcome. And uh, I got there working within the team as a supplier to Boeing. And that allowed me to get the input into you know, how we're going to design it so that we could make it so we could support it. I can tell you through Alan's leadership, that whole mantra of working together was more than just words. So it truly was the standard that the team that was held to. And in reflecting on Alan's impact, I identified some of those characteristics or attributes that Alan exhibited, which which I've, I feel I've, I've always sought to emulate through my career. I guess there's some of the key areas that I'd summarize them under would be, I guess some headings there would be you know, con communication, consistency, passion, standards of acceptance, putting people first and providing inspiration. So Alan continuously communicated the intent behind the working together theme. His passion for it was passed through the leadership team to the team members. That's, we're all clear on the intent. And I felt it was very consistent through the leaders on their understanding of this whole mantra and how it applied. And that allowed them to consistently transfer that same ideology to the rest of us, which allowed us to, to then work towards it. Alan also established some standards of acceptance and that gave us a basis to aspire to. Importantly, he was known to be constructive in his correction for deviations to the standard. So there were plenty of rumors that circulated around. I was fortunate enough to get some recognition for my contribution into the working together theme. And that was great. There was, there was rumors that as Alan would mingle with the team, that he would be known to stop and engage with individuals that were displaying the embodiment of the standards and also challenging those that were not. And he took the time to really reflect on what are we trying to achieve and focus on the culture, not just put his aerospace engineering hat and jump into the detail. Despite the significant quality and time pressures that, that the entire team were under, what Alan seemed to have created was an environment where everyone did support each other and work towards this common goal. And I still remember that the, the words of Alan Mulally just kept resonating through the team. And it really did draw out that extra effort and collaboration that was, was necessary to achieve the result of the 777 aircraft. You know, it was a transformational design build that they embarked upon. But beyond that, so following Alan's career, um, as he progressed beyond the, uh, the the 777 engineering leader, the way that his his leadership impacted the culture within within Boeing as a broader business as he was promoted through to CEO of Boeing. Then he moved across to Ford. And if you, you have a look at his time at Ford, they talk about the cultural change that occurred, the performance level that, that evolved as a result of, of Alan's performance there and the way he approached things. He always went in with a purpose, with a theme, and drove that through. However, the other thing that really hit home with, with me as I reflected on this, a lot of those same businesses, and, and I see this fairly continuously in business, those cultures have come crashing down as new leadership took control of the business. And I've seen the change in that leadership as someone else comes through, which does reinforce that true impact that 
that Alan did have on the team. So that's my reflection as, uh, as someone that really gave me some inspiration as I thought through this question. Thanks, Ron. As a way to summarise some of the themes that came out from your responses, I'll, I'll put this out there and see if I can throw a bit of a spanner in the works here and see if I can get some discussion happening. So the the more positive common themes that I, that I was uh, picking up was values, being about people and communication. My question is, these are not necessarily tied to other leader skill sets that you could brought up and, and have been brought up in, in other forums, my podcast, in the networks, meetings around what are the other skills that you need to be an effective leader in the workplace? And I didn't hear a lot of discussion and I, I kind of understand why, but I, I'd like to, to get your perspectives on this. Things like strategic thinking and foresight didn't come up as critical leader capabilities. Now, I'm not saying that they're not on your mind. What I think has happened is the ones that you brought up are the very human being skills that you want to see in a leader because without them, you don't have a cohesive workplace. But the challenge that I put up is if you don't have leaders that have very well developed senses of foresight and strategic thinking. A lot of these other skills are very good to have, but may not get you to a goal that you need to get to. And I'm, I'm open to be challenged on that, but we're here to have the discussion. So can we go to Chris first on that? Do you have any perspectives on that, I, Matt? I do, actually. It's it's an interesting thing. And unfortunately, it's got to be a combination. You can have the, the greatest ideas of what the future is, the business is going to be. But unless you're welcoming people onto the bus with you, you're never going to get there. And that's very much the, the whole point of it is I've, I've had a number of leaders that were really charismatic, great at the personal side of things. And one of the ones that I didn't mention that does come to mind, and I think I did actually mention this in one of Alan's courses that I did, is that this particular leader carried a little notebook around with him. And whenever he chatted with someone on the shop floor, he'd make a note. Before he went out into the shop floor, he'd have a quick read of his notes because he couldn't even remember their name but they thought he did. Very bad at planning, very bad at all those future things, but the teams loved him because they thought he cared. So again, he's focused on that because he's good at it. But as far as the future of the business, that just wasn't something he was good at running it and keeping everyone happy. Was seen as a good leader because of that. And I think, unfortunately, you can have the best plans and the best idea of the future for the business, but unless you can get people to come with you, it's not going to happen. But I, I get where you're coming from. I think some of the best leaders I've encountered and, and you all may have similar, if not differing perspectives that will combine those things as much as they can, or as Azani indicated at the start, that you, you will get the people around you that will help you to do that. And that's the, um, the art form that is leadership and Ron's discussion of the the leadership that he experienced suggests that quite in quite a big way that culture is probably another one you could throw in the mix there that doesn't often get talked about but is under the surface. So, Zani, uh, your perspectives on the the, the skill sets discussion we've just had? Yeah. So, in terms of strategic thinking, I think it depends on the level of the leadership as well because you can have leaders on different levels throughout the organisation. Certainly, um, you know, in the C suite and the executive level, I think strategic thinking is is absolutely necessary, but it is a skill that can be learned and can be developed as long as you're self-aware enough to recognize that it's a weakness and that it needs to be worked on. Yes, I could not agree more. Alan? Support Zanny's comment 100%. I think 
are we talking about leadership from a, a senior organisational community political leader perspective or are we talking about leadership more generally across an organisation? If it's the latter, I think it's a case of individuals being able to have those, those various skills that we've talked about and then be able to link the strategic view of the organisation to, to their level. In some of the programmes I run, we talk about you know, cascading and line of sight. So how do you create the link into operational plans from strategic plans? When you're talking about CEOs, etc. You're absolute, you know, CEOs or, or senior leaders, politically, military, whatever. I think you then very much, as Zanny said, get into the realms of the C-suite and the need for a strategic and, and future focus. So the couple of people I was thinking about, they were either, a, there was, one was a CEO and one was a, a regional manager, and they they were charged with taking the organisation forward and they could do that. And they, to Chris's point, you know, got buy-in from the people they needed. So really it's a question, are we talking about very senior leaders? And if that's the case, there is a whole range of things that they need to be t- thinking four, five, six years out. Or if the Chinese view, Zhao Jinping, he's probably thinking a hundred years out. If we're talking about leadership inside an organisation, I think you then start to say, it's about linking the strategy of the organisation to making it real and getting people to follow you on the shop floor. Brilliant. Uh, Neil? Yeah, love everything you guys said. I agree with all of it. I think you probably stole a lot of things on my list, but yeah, what, what um, Alan's talking about is strategy deployment. He's been able to express the why so that people can get clear strategy deployment linkage all the way through from the point of action all the way up to the top. So that being able to express uh, like the vision of why we're going to do something so that people can be inspired by that. And I think inspiration and inspiring characters is one of the things I probably missed off my earlier list is somebody that can inspire you through that sense of strong sense of purpose, strong sense of character, strong communication around the, the purpose and the, and the mission and vision. I think that's really important. Reflecting on leaders, CEOs, what level of the organisation we're talking at, I think there are some people who aren't even leaders yet that are leaders. I think that's something I'd like to recognise is that people who are in the point of action who are obviously going to be leaders in the future have a certain character set. And I think that, for me, is where it shows a sense of ownership. It's like, yeah, this is, this is my issue to deal with. I'm going to take ownership of this. They're not trying to sort of push off to somebody else. Or, and they bring other people along with them to try and solve problems. I think that's really important. So I think... Uh, the other thing I've got here is analytical in terms of business sense. So it's that business acumen thing. One person came to mind that I didn't mention the first time, and that's John Beavers, who used to be the, the CEO of Grand Pro. He inherited this, this company when it was a really toxic culture, turned it around. I think people found him to be an inspirational character because he was so sharp and analytical when it came to business decisions. And he was able to very, very quickly express what it was that he was thinking and then communicate that on. So I think to, to have that immediate insight, as you said, foresight to be able to understand what needs to happen and then how to get other people to come on board with you is that kind of inspiring sort of character. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the things I have. Uh, and Ron? I, I, look, I think that strategic thinking, that future focus is absolutely vital within a leader. And I recognise I didn't overtly state that within my example there, probably because the example I had was someone where the, the strategy had been set and was being deployed. But what I will say, though, just to elaborate a little further, so I think with a leader, key success with a leader is is being able to, as the terminology states, you know, it's about leading people somewhere. And that that leadership is about you need to have that forward, that future focus. You need to have where am I going to get people too so like with the working together mantra that that was a now if that was rolled out as just purely the words then there would not have been the cultural change that embodied it the fact that the team 
and the, the progression of that mantra was really about where we're we going to and what are the behaviors that are necessary in creating that culture. To me, that requires strategic thinking. That requires a future focus. If I reflect back and, I, and some of the other leaders that I, I had in the back of my mind to, to highlight through this probably had more of a innovative entrepreneurial cycle to them where that would have been more dominant at all. So I think my personal view is strategic thinking and future focus are actually essential attributes of a leader. The degree that it gets applied might vary based on where they are in their journey. Now you can, that doesn't mean that they need to have all of the entrepreneurial confidence to them. So it's okay to seek help from the experts to help formulate that thought. But again, the leader needs to then be able to latch onto now that I've crafted where it is we're going, how do I then bring my team to that point? And I guess that relates back to some of the commentary that we've already had around making sure you surround yourself with the right people. A true leader that lacks that entrepreneurial competence to them will get someone in that is a specialist in that field to help formulate and to lead through that process of evolution and discovery to find out where it is that we're going. And once they, they do get clarity of that, that future state, then the leadership competence is about enabling the organization to achieve that end result. Thanks, Ron. We'll move on to the next topic, but just to say I'm loving this conversation and one little final grenade I might throw out there that might be a topic for future podcasts, Kevin, and I'd love to have a debate at some point. And because I'm doing this in my studies now, I'll throw the bomb in. I have argued in the ag sector and I'm only an early career researcher, so don't shoot me down just yet. I'm arguing that strategic thinking and foresight are some of the most critical leader capabilities we've got. I've never said they're the only ones, but for me, they're some of the most critical because you can be the most persuasive, people-oriented person in the world, but if you don't have a vision, you don't have a roadmap to get to that vision, you're never going to succeed. And I think it's degrees of connectedness. I think Alan hit it on the head when he talked about levels in the organizations, and he did as well. Your level of the organization, the type of organization, I think industry may focus that as well because in some industries, I think some leader capabilities are going to be more in focus than in others. But this is a debate for another time. Um, we could go on for hours and I don't want to take up everyone's time beyond the allotted time we've got. So that might be a challenge for another podcast. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast was produced through a collaboration collaboration between the Best Practice Network and Talking Leadership. My name is Eric Perez. Thank you for following the podcast. My thanks to the New South Wales and Queensland facilitator of the network, Kevin Bennett, for helping to organise the podcast. But more importantly, thank you to our guests today, including Ron Spatiri, Christopher Morgan, Neil Corden, Zenny Christofferson, and Alan Muntz. Thank you for listening. Catch everyone on the next podcast.